Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In The Know Property Podcast. I'm Jack Henderson, the founder of Henderson Advocacy. Frank Rayedi joins us again. He's the uh, the head of investment. Welcome, Frank. Welcome, Jack. Mate, a little bit different this time around. We're recording via Zoom in the Sydney lockdown. Yes, the uh, the lockdown the lockdown podcast, as you call it. <laughs> Mate, I um I miss sitting next to you and gazing into those beautiful Italian beautiful <laughs> Italian eyes, mate. Hey, <laughs> thanks, mate. Thanks. Now there's a screen between us. Yeah. So, mate, last last episode we obviously spoke about you know your journey, my my journey at a very high level. Um, you know your your twenty to thirty years of experience and obviously portfolio growth and where you're at right now. And we obviously know that when you're investing in property, mate, you're not doing it for the short term. You're doing it for the long term. And um, you're at a period now in your investment journey where, like you said, in, in the cycles you see huge gains right because you're carrying a large net asset base um before you you can get to that level right you actually need to buy property and when we talk about buying property there's many many different facets and many different aspects that going into actually buying the right property right and and one of those aspects and probably the most important one is the, the market that you're buying into, right? And everyone talks about markets as um, this one big thing, the Australian property market, the Sydney property market, the Brisbane property market, whatever it is, people like to, um, um, I would say, cluster everything together, right? Like everything performs at the same rate and, and in the same values. And we know that's very much not the case. So today what we're going to talk about is, is, market selection and how we actually go about selecting the property markets that we are actually going to be buying into. Um, so, mate, obviously the way, you know, there's many different ways to select marketplaces and, and, and they're, they're generally, people call them different things, right? And they, 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 they uh, in, depending on how someone, you know, names a market or, or, or generalizes a market, they could have three suburbs in it or it could have 30 suburbs in it. Um, obviously, the way we look at marketplaces is from an SA3 level, right? And, yeah. and, and I'll let you do the talking on the SA3s because uh, you are the uh, the analytics man and you like the detail. So um, when we are talking about SA3s, I mean, statistical area level three. That's correct. Mate, mate what is it? Educate us. So the statistical area level three is uh, is basically a term or an an area that has been uh, produced by the Australian Bureau of Statistics um, for census purposes, is my understanding of which we're, we've just done, uh, you know, most recently. Um, and it's a, stand, a standard framework that uh, for the analysis that the ABS has produced um, uh, in regards to data. Um, now, it's at a regional level through clustering of groups of suburbs um, that have similar regional characteristics, administrative boundaries or labour markets. So mm. I think we all know what local government areas are um, and, and SA3, Statistical Area Level 3, that the ABS has produced is similar to, you could think of it like an LGA, but, it, but it's different um, because LGAs can be quite large. Um, for example, you know, the Brisbane LGA is, is, is massive, yet the ABS has broken the, the Brisbane LGA down into several SA3 levels um, and like I mentioned, you know, the admin boundaries, the labour markets, and these are, are similar suburbs in regards to those data points. And what we've found is that analysing property markets or, or property areas at an SA3 level 
um, has produced some quite accurate and um, and you know for for analysing trends etc is very good for property markets. Yeah. So and and with an SA three, like you said, Brisbane LGA, which is a government area, is quite large. But then if you look at, say, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, inside of the SA3 of, say, the eastern suburbs north, it actually combines maybe three or four different LGAs, right? Because you've got Waverley, you've got Wallara, you've got Ramwick. Um, So we can combine multiple LGAs. And then in the same essence, an LGA can combine multiple SA3s for a large LGA. And, and, And... you know, what you're saying around the, the data that comes out of a, an SA3 is, is, is much more, um, I would say, um, accurate because the, obviously the government's done it in a strategic way as how they've included these suburbs together to cr- create, that, um, create that SA3 and they create them big enough that you're getting enough data from that area plus there's enough people in that area um, to make the, the statistics quite relevant that's right and um, and when we think of property you know i think a lot of people focus on particular suburbs and they'll hone in on the statistics on that particular suburb and yes those statistics are there but they are not as reliable as analyzing the the what i like to call the regional uh sa3 level of all of those adjoining suburbs together um, because a lot of suburbs you know you, you know you have some large suburbs you have some quite small suburbs uh, a lot of those smaller suburbs, some might be on the, you know, the water, some might be, you know, five blocks back with no water view. So the difference between the, the properties in that one suburb uh, can vary quite different in regards to the value and the, and the growth performance. Um, and then also, you know, the, the, the amount of volume of property that trades in an area, right? Because if you've exactly. got an area that's very, very tightly held, um, it's a very small suburb. And let's just hypothetically say there's 10 sales in that suburb for the whole year. Like you said, some of those are waterfront sales. Some of those are not waterfront and have no views. The, the numbers can get very, uh, very inaccurate, right? If you, you have three or four big sales um, in one year, it can look like that suburb has gone through significant growth when in reality, it's just been a year that a lot of the, large, a lot of the larger properties um, have traded, which don't necessarily have an impact on the other properties in the suburb. So when you're looking at things on an SA3 level, you're looking at multiple suburbs in the one SA3. Generally, all those suburbs are similar in values, um, has a similar or almost the same demographic of person. So you look at a larger volume and obviously a larger volume of data gets you a more accurate read on what's happening. That's, that's correct. And, and even um, if we talk about the eastern suburbs in general, uh, a lot of people talk about the eastern suburbs as a region, but at, at an SA3 level, the eastern suburbs is even broken down between eastern suburbs north and eastern suburbs south. Um, mm-hmm. And just to give an example, the eastern suburbs north has, I've counted here, 22 individual suburbs within it. Um, and they range from Paddington, uh, which is three k's out of the CBD, right through to Watson's Bay, which is eleven k's out of the CBD. Um, mm. But they and then down as far as Coogee, right? Yeah, down yeah. As, as Clavelli, the yeah. border Coogee, of Coogee Clavelli. Yeah, yeah, Coogee actually sits in eastern suburbs uh, south um, SA three. Um, so yeah, so and uh, like you said, with the listings, very little listings in a tightly held suburb like Clavelli, for example. But you look at it at, at an SA three region, eastern suburbs north, and suddenly you, you, you're working with a lot. Uh, a lot larger sample size and therefore it uh, it irons out those bumps that you'd get, you know, those highs and lows and that erratic behaviour, that volatility that you'd get um, at a suburb level. 
Of course, and it makes the data more accurate. And that's obviously how you can look. That's how you can look at an area and research an area and get a really good holistic view on what's actually happening and what what has happened for the last 10, 20, 30, 50, however many years you can get data back to. Um, But obviously when we're selecting marketplaces, as we spoke about in in our first episode, we're generally targeting areas that are not the sexiest new hotspots that are not, you know, having massive infrastructure booms. These areas that we're, we're buying in for ourselves and for our clients are areas that have been chugging along and ticking along for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, year on year, consistent growth. Um, and, and, and these areas, and I'd say these marketplaces that we're investing in, um, are generally of higher affluence, right? The people in these areas, the demographic of person in these areas are are people who earn more than the Australian average income, I would say. Um, they're people who are of affluence and they're people where the median house price and the median apartment price are generally much larger than the you know the whole area that they're sitting right so the, for example you talk about sydney that the average or the median householding uh price for, for sydney give or take at the moment around a million bucks maybe a tad more maybe a tad less depending on what data you look at but you know so, that's sydney as a whole but then if you look at potentially there's sa3s like the eastern suburbs north the median house price you know is probably somewhere around four million bucks mm. still sits inside of sydney though right, right. and 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 what that does is is it attracts the people that have those high incomes. It attracts the people that can control their own income as well. Um, and what that does is gives them ability to keep increasing what they can spend on property, right? Because as, as you and I know, Frank, the biggest contributor to property price growth is your ability to earn an income because you can't, you can't buy property and you can't spend money if you can't borrow it from the bank, right? And if you, you, you're, you're capped at what you can earn, then you're capped at what you can borrow. And if you're capped at what you can borrow, you're capped at what you can spend. And obviously the growth um, will be limited in those areas. That's right. And, and also from an investor's point of view, you know, as investors, we want to ensure our, uh, our properties are always uh, leased out. And we always want to ensure we're getting good yields. Um, mm. Now, as the properties grow, those those yields, uh, you know, often uh, decrease slightly until the rents start to catch up. Now, in regards to when you talk about those blue chip suburbs where, um, you know, a higher demographic, if you like, the rental affordability, um, which is one of the one of the data points that we analyze as well, is much higher in those areas. So by rental affordability, we're talking about, well, if the, the, the median weekly rent in, in a suburb is, you know, um, $1,000 $1, a week, and in that suburb the, or in that region, the weekly median income is, say, $5,000 a week, 250 grand a year, for example. 1000 over 5000 the rent over the income is 20% um, of, of their income, which means if we want to increase the rent, we're saying, well, there's scope there for a rental increase and the affordability is not going to be an issue for people who are renting in those areas. Um, you know, oh, so they've got more, more, more disposable incomes. That's right, yeah. And, and you want to look in that ratio at anything under 30% is, is considered really good. 30% is considered well-balanced or neutral. Once we start getting over 30% to 40 or 50%, then the scope to increase the rent is, is not there and the affordability is generally not there. So that's another little mm. data point that we look at as well. Of course. And, and, and like you said, the yields in the areas that we're, we're buying in, the marketplace that we're buying in, 
you know, these yields are not going to, you know, make you jump out of bed, right? They're, they're in, in relative terms, quite low. Okay. Um, but it's also relative to the interest rate environment we're in right now. So if you're talking about an inner ring of Sydney or an inner ring of Brisbane or an inner ring of Melbourne, you know, you're talking about yields somewhere between two to three and a half percent gross yields. Yes. Um, but, you know, in, in an interest rate environment where the interest rates are probably sitting somewhere between two to three percent as well, it's all relative. Like you're not making thousands of dollars a week in positive cash flow. I'll be running an 80 20 um, leverage, like 80% debt, you know, 20% cash. Um, but it's not costing you a lot of money either. And, and, and the yields, obviously look very slim because the growth in these areas has been very, very strong. And like you said, the, the rents can't keep up with the growth. If you get 10 or 15% growth in a suburb in one year, you can't generally increase your rent by 10 or 15% to keep yeah. that yield at a, at a relative level. And obviously, property markets as a whole don't increase year on year every single year. Uh, there's obviously a big misconception out there and we'll obviously dig into that. But, you know, if you have a, uh, if you have a year where you have, 15% and the next year you get 10 and the next year you might get 20 or whatever it is, it's very lumpy growth and then it might flatline for a few years. And generally in that time where there isn't a lot of activity in the marketplace, that's when rents generally catch up or start to catch up to the level, um, you know, where it's sitting okay. Yeah, and, that, and, that, and that's exactly right, Jack. And I mean, when you're talking about uh, investing in these blue chip areas, Traditionally, you're not doing it for the cash flow for the yield. You're doing it for that long-term historical growth. Um, you know, cash flow. You know, rents are going to help you um, cash flow the property if, if you like. Um, but it's the capital growth that's going to make you wealthy at the end of the day. Not, not exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and again, it's it's got to fit that person's portfolio in their of life, course, right? Yeah. And not, not everyone has the disposable income to be able to cash flow a negative property or five or six or however many negative properties. Um, so it's all it's all got to suit the, the individual. But for, I guess for myself and, and yourself and the, the people we generally look after, they're people chasing growth because they earn their income from their job or their business. Right, um, yeah. Another thing that we really look at in the marketplaces that we buy in is obviously the supply to demand ratios, right? You know, if we're again talking about the inner ring of Sydney, the reason that there is such an upward pressure on prices and there has been for such a very long time is because in the areas that we buy, there is no more land to build on, which means the property that is there is the only property that is going to be there and unless they rezone a few blocks and put apartments. Um, but generally speaking, you know, if you're buying in a marketplace in an area where there is no more land, and it's an area where there's obviously a lot of jobs. There's, like we said, a lot of income, a lot of disposable income. Um, it's landlocked. You look at a place like the eastern suburbs, you can't build yeah. anymore because there's water around you everywhere. The closest um, CBD. Of course, you know, public transport's fantastic. So if you want to buy into one of those suburbs or you want to, you live in one of those suburbs and you want to upgrade from an apartment to a, a semi or from a semi to a house or from a house to a, to a larger house, you have to buy an existing property off someone else. And, you know, generally speaking, no one's going to sell their property for a loss, right? If you want to buy a property of someone else, unless they're in some unforeseen circumstance, you're going to have to pay a premium for that property because they're not going to sell and this is going to be financially beneficial for them. Um, and, 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 that, and that's super important. You know, when you go into marketplaces where there isn't that supply and demand issue, you know, as, as soon as there is more demand, they meet it with more supply. So as you start getting further and further away from the CBDs, um, 
you know, the, the upward pressure in prices starts to slow down because they can just keep building more and more houses or more and more apartments. And again, the population starts to thin out the, 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 the further away you get from the CBDs. It's very dense in the CBDs where, you know, as you get further and further away, there's less population, which, you know, means less demand and um, more land to build. They meet that demand with supply. That's right, yeah. And, and just on that, one of the, one of the data points or the, or the criteria that we look at as well is um, that, that really gives a great example of market conditions of a, of a region at an NSA3 level and, and even at a suburb level, but like we touched on more accurate at a regional level, is um, the stock levels. Um, so by that, what we mean is if, if at any one time, and, and usually you're using a rolling 12 months, but uh, you know, for the month of uh, you know, July just gone, for example, um, if we take the number of um, active, the, month, the average number of monthly listings in a region, and let's just say that's 30, and the average number of sales in the area, and let's just say in a month and say that's 10, then mm. 30 over 10 gives you an, a number of three months of inventory. So basically, you know, we're saying there's 30 apples and we're eating 10 per month. Well, all those 30 apples are going to be gone in three months. Now, that's a, that's a great data point and it, because when we start looking at these on a, on a month by month basis, and, and remember it's a rolling 12 months, once those inventory levels start hitting uh, three months or coming down from a higher number down to three months and then down into twos, down into ones, we're getting into a really seller's market. And um, what's that? And, and some often that can be the turn in the market for a region that we see where, where we go from five or four down to three months inventory and then under three months and once those regions are hovering under three for a while, that's when you start to see prices increase as well because it's just a, a real seller's market and that demand starts coming in because the uh, not that the supply is not there, but that the demand to supply is just at a, such a great rate. Like I said, you could have 30, 30 uh, listings and 10 sales per month giving you three, or you could have 100 listings and 50 sales per month giving, giving you two months of stock. Mm. So it's not about a lack of supply it's that the demand is far outweighing the supply as i said the supply could be 30 properties or it could be 100 so 100 per month on average you wouldn't say is a lack of supply but you know what we're saying is though there's 100 average listings but there's 50 getting bought every month so it's showing that there's only two months of stock and that'll just you the the other side of that is that prices start lifting exactly right yeah it stays on market generally trending down as well, and yeah. obviously, you know, if, if not another property was to list as of today, how long would it take for the property that's on the market currently to, to all be sold? Um, and that obviously gives you the inventory levels, and that's a, that's a, that's a number that our good friend Kent Larden tracks very closely, and and it so is. do we. And um, look, those those numbers can fluctuate over time depending on the markets, the, 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 the market cycle we're in and whereabouts we are up to um, and what's happening in the, the economy overall right um, but course, generally yeah. speaking you want to look on it at a at, a, at an overall trend not just yeah. for the last couple of months but for, for, for maybe a 10-year block and see what that trend has been and if, and if it's trending downwards over time and it's like you said hovering around that number um, it's generally a, a pretty stable and pretty consistent marketplace yeah and that's why we look like to look at it on an average 12 month rolling. So it's always rolling. Um, so we're not just looking at say the last three months, which may you know, give an inaccurate uh, position of what the real market conditions are for, for a region. For sure. Um, mate, talking, talking about, I guess, your personal, 
your, your personal story now. I mean, obviously, when you're buying your first time, you probably didn't know all of this information, didn't have access to all of this data, <laughs> no <way. laughs> right? No data um, back then. <laughs> when when you, when you bought the first one, you bought it in an area that we would classify as quite blue chip and quite affluent. Now it is probably wasn't like that back then. Um, you know, was that in your thinking at all, or did that just happen by chance? I know. No, as I mentioned, I think in our first podcast, you know, my parents lived at Strathfield um, mm. and, and you know, I went off to play soccer, mate. They went around looking. Um, and, and often is the case, people think, you know, oh, I live in a good suburb. This is a nice suburb, nice people, nice area. We'll go and look around here. And so a lot of first-time investors, um, like myself, buy something that's pr- relatively close to home. I mean, you know, it's, it is a, it's, it's a nerve-wracking thing buying your first investment property. Um, so you you know, often people want that comfort factor, so they're not going to go too far out of their comfort zone. It wasn't like straight away I was going to go invest in in Brisbane or Perth as my first investment property. It, it didn't even think of that. It wasn't until later, uh, as my property portfolio grew, that I even considered going into state um, for diversification purposes. And of course, I hired a buyer's agent who were buyers agents in those areas who were on the ground because I didn't have a clue as to which suburbs were good in in uh, Melbourne or or Brisbane. Um, so we, it was one of those things of just sticking close to home and um, because, you know, we so-called knew the area. Uh, and that's a mistake I think a lot of people make now where they say, I'll buy something close to home but I, because I know the area. But they know the area in regards to, well, they know where the local shops, the schools are, the churches, whatever that case may be, the childcare centres. Mm. But do they actually know the area in regards to the, to the data? And, uh, you know, with all the data we have at our, at our fingertips now, now you can zoom into areas you know you know myself i've been analyzing newcastle just this last week um and now i feel like you know with google maps and the data i i feel like i know newcastle like the back of my hand um because uh, of the data that i can see see there in front of in front of me in the in the trends um you know and a lot of people say oh i know the area around where i live but if you ask them anything about real estate or the property vacancy rates growth rates etc they wouldn't be able to tell you so exactly yeah. It's what they're familiar with, right? They have a bias right. to what they're There's familiar similarity with. And yeah, we do have that human bias, of course. And uh, for most people, unfortunately, you know, they're not in the areas that we would classify as, as the, the, the blue chip, blue ribbon investment areas that, that you know, we're buying property in. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's super important to look at it on a, on a more micro basis and just go, yeah, I know the area, so I can probably make a better decision here than I can make if I was buying in an area that I didn't necessarily know, but I know will perform better over the long term. And the, and the, um, other, issue, the other issue too, Jack, sorry to interrupt there, is if they've already got a principal place of residence or their home in that area, they're then going to go and buy another investment property. And now they've got two properties in the same region, for example, but some, some even buy in the same suburb. Um, and really, you know, you've already got your home there. Now, you know, the argument whether your home is an asset or a liability is, is for another day, but your home is going to grow in value as well. Um, so, you know, my thoughts are go and get an investment property in in another region of whether it be Sydney or, or interstate even. Mm. Yeah, well, look, I think that that's a subjective thing because, if you, you know, I don't believe in diversification so much. We've had these discussions. What I, I believe more in specialization. So, um, if you know an area like the back of your hand, and that area happens to be a very, very good area, right? Like, like the eastern suburbs, like the inner west, the north shore, the northern beaches, you know, there's many different areas in Sydney. Um, I would argue that buying multiple properties in that one spot, you know, can outperform, especially in a place like. 
in a place like Sydney because obviously, you know, people talk about um, marketplaces like, you know, because Sydney's performing at the moment or Melbourne will have its turn and it's like it's like they're human beings, right? But in reality, they're not. They're, they're, they're property markets and their areas. So if Sydney as a whole is not performing, then there's probably issues on, on a grander scale because as we know, Sydney has the biggest population. Sydney has the most amount of jobs. It's a global city. Um, we've got the highest income. We've got the highest property prices. And if, if something is wrong here and, and the, 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 the marketplace is, is not performing, then I would say that the other markets around Australia are probably not performing either because there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue on a, on a more global or, or Australia-wide scale. Yeah, no, that's, and we, that's and a very we, good point. Um, and we saw yeah. that during COVID, right? Like it wasn't just yeah. the Sydney property market that slowed down. It was all the marketplaces that, you know, it was Melbourne, it was Brisbane. And obviously, like we're talking about, there's markets inside of markets. But generally, as a whole, most markets slowed down because of there was so much uncertainty um, and then people weren't making decisions. Buyers retracted, sellers retracted because it was, you know, yeah, so much. Um, yeah, and that's a, that diversification topic. And um, just to clarify when I what I meant by, you know, not buying too close to your own home is because mainly when people are buying their home, they're buying for emotional reasons. They're not buying for those investment uh, data points, if you like. Um, so, but I do agree in regards to, you know, we often hear, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that's often in relation to shares anyway. Um, but like you said, you've, you've got a, if you've got a region like the Eastern suburbs that is, is tried and tested and has outperformed for, for decades um, you know, I wish I had all my properties in the Eastern Suburbs, to be honest with you. And, and you know, I'm lucky enough that I do have one. Um, but uh, yeah, um, when it's tried and tested and, you know, and property, obviously, as we know, is not as volatile and risky as shares. Um, yeah, when you, when you found that area, um, affordability obviously can, can often becomes an, an area, you know, an issue with those blue chip suburbs, though, as we said. So often people do have to go a bit, a bit wider or looking for the next blue chip in another state. So, yeah, there's, there's arguments uh, on both sides, but, you know, it all comes down to the individual, doesn't it? Exactly right. And that's the thing, you know, talking, you know, I think this is what we'll finish up on, but it's, you know, the fundamentals should remain the same regardless of the marketplace you're investing into, whether it be Brisbane, whether it be Melbourne, whether it be Sydney, whether it be Perth, whether it be Adelaide, all of the fundamentals should remain the same, right? The only thing that will be the variable will be the property type that you're actually buying in that certain marketplace. Because obviously there's a house, the unit argument, everyone goes, oh, well, houses over apartments. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that because it's, no. it, it depends on where you're investing, right? If I was buying something in the inner ring of Brisbane, I would probably buy a house because the majority of the demographic in that market wants to live in houses, which means That's if you right. buy an apartment, you're only going to appeal to a, such a small demographic of buyer. In Sydney's east, would you buy an apartment? Absolutely, because the majority of buyers in the eastern suburbs live in houses, uh, live in apartments. There's a lot more apartments than there are houses, which means I've, it appeals. I've some live data here, Jack, you know, in the eastern suburbs, north region, 59% of the, of the dwellings in that region are units. 59%. And of the total dwellings in the eastern suburbs, north, 43, 43% are renters. So, you know, not only is it uh, got 59% of units, which is obviously the, the majority, but then you've got a high proportion of renters in there, which as an investor, you know, you're always going to have that strong demand of uh, people renting your property. Exactly right. So the fundamentals remain the same. What you're looking for, you're looking for areas with a massive, you know, lack of supply and a, and a large demand. And that's, you know, whether I retract that is inventory levels and, and how much inventory is actually out there on the market. 
um, you're looking at areas where there is a very high median household income because, as we said, the more money people earn, the more ability they have to lend, the more ability they have to lend, the more they can spend on property, um, which, you know, essentially safeguards your future growth. Um, and, and, you know, we can go into little micro things, but I think a lot of people know, right, you, you want to be as close as you possibly can, you know, to, to the schools and to the shops and, you know, to that village lifestyle that most people want. And, course, and, we'll, they, and we'll dig into those things yeah, in, the suburbs in, in another episode. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but all of that remains the same regardless of where you go. And the only thing that changes is the property type you're potentially buying. Um, and like you said, affordability is one thing. You know, a house in Brisbane's premium suburbs um, is a very different price point to a house in Sydney's premium suburbs. And then, of course, yeah. you know, vice versa in, in, in Melbourne as well. You know, you look at places like Yaturak, um, Prans, it's, it's, you know, it's not cheap to buy a home there. Um, <laughs> so it's all relative. It is, it is. Awesome. Well, mate, as always, it was a pleasure. We're very busy people. I've got to get back to uh, buying property for clients. So uh, we'll see you next week, Frankie boy. All right. Thanks, Jack. Peace.